if uh, if companies are making money off of the information they've gathered for me, I kind of want a piece of that. Like, you make, you're making money on my data? Okay, I'm going to cut that uh, off. Give me 50 because... cents. Good morning and welcome to the download. I forgot what the new podcast was. I haven't been on it since then. DLC. It's, it's the downloadable the downloadable coffee. coffee. Yeah, Dallas. Good morning. Welcome <laughs> to downloadable coffee, Dallas. If we kept that previous, let's just go ahead and keep on going. Uh, this is a podcast in which we recap the discussions from the video game open coffee clubs around the city, as well as highlight some of the uh, upcoming events in the gaming community in Dallas. I am Eric Brody, and this morning I am joined by... Rebecca Easton. And Michael Sewell. Awesome. So let's go ahead and hop into uh, what happened last week. Uh, well, DSOP has started their cartridge jam. Uh, they broke up into teams for over the next two weeks. So I think next week they're going to be doing a... Uh, do a show and play. So what the cartridge jam is everybody submitted some art that wanted to take participate that wanted to participate. They submitted some art and then on their first meeting of the month, they had everybody introduce their art and I think give a little spill of the game behind it and everybody teamed up around that game. And now they're spending the next two weeks doing that. So an upcoming event, they're going to be doing that. Uh, Dallas Society. Oh, I'm I'm rereading this. Uh, Game Dev Drink Up started on Thursday. Yep, yep. it was on Thursday. Uh, there were a lot of interesting conversations. We actually had some people show up from the Game Dev Drink Up on Friday. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, um, there were kind of two new faces that showed right. up on Thursday, and then. Um, uh, they happened to either, I think, live near the area or at least just say, hey, cool, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm going to head on up. Um, so I think that was Melissa and Jeff. If you guys are listening, thank you for coming. And uh, welcome to the welcome to the community. You will mm-hmm. never get away. Oh, hopefully never get away. <laughs> you you are now one of us. <laughs> yeah, one of us. Okay. Uh, upcoming events. Well, I got one more oh. uh, past event. Uh, the Animation Guild just had a, a quick uh, local developer Q&A panel. Oh. And portfolio review this past Saturday at UTD. And where can people find information on just that guild alone? Uh, Facebook. They have a big Facebook group. Everybody is uh, able to post any any updates or any information that they have to share. Okay. Awesome. Sounds awesome. So that is what you maybe missed or maybe made last week. And here's what you can maybe miss or maybe make <laughs> this week, but hopefully make. Upcoming events. So Dallas Fuel Watch Party in Frisco. Uh is on the 18th, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Then you have on... You will have to RSVP for that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, they actually have... Uh, PM Stanley's is hosting it. And, Where's that? Uh, it's in at Frisco. the Reservoir. In reservoir. Can't read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's right down the street from Nirvana. Um, it's at like Preston and Maine. Um, but yeah, they are saying that you really definitely have to RSVP for that because it's going to be very limited space. Okay. Uh, but they can guarantee T-shirts for everybody who's there. So. Woo! Yeah. Um, and so even though it starts at 6, uh, I don't think Dallas comes on until 8. So for those of you who have to work and commute, it's a little bit easier to get to still. Mm, for sure. And then on the 21st of April, a bunch of short guys at 10 p.m. is doing a Rita Street workshop on developing an animated comedy series. So I think that would be really good for anybody in the community that's looking at really upping their game with some uh, comedic cutscenes. 
That's cool. And then on That's Saturday, right? Yes, it is Saturday. And then on Wednesday, the twenty fifth at seven p.m., Dallas Society of Play show and play cart where they're showing off the cartridge. They'll be games. showing off, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So if you are participating in that, please let us know. We'd love to kind of hype you up on the Facebook channel. So I think that's it for all of the events that are coming up this week. Um, let us know if we forgot anything or anything that you're particularly excited about that's coming up later on the month or next month, and we can make sure to bring it up here. Uh, but let's go ahead and hop into what we talked about at the coffee club last week. Recap. Okay, so for the Thursday group, we talked about a couple, we had a couple of articles. One of the ones that kind of caught our attention that one of the members dropped was an interesting title for an article that said, this violent video game has made more money than any movie ever. And it's... (laughs) I'm guessing that's GTA (laughs) Five. Yeah. It's Grand Theft Auto. Didn't that pass that like a long time ago, actually? Yeah. And I think they were including in one of their articles, they were including even the all the DVDs and everything of Star Wars. Like it's officially surpassed Star Wars. (laughs) Hmm. Way to go. Um, But the thing that really caught everybody's attention was why that title? Why violent video game? (laughs) We know why. (laughs) We do. It was just one of those things. It felt like it kind of missed the mark. More like a uh, clickbaity title. Mm. Yeah. Well, not only clickbaity, but just like, again, just continuing the rhetoric. Like, I, who was, who did that? Like, what site was that that did that? Oh, hold on. Let me, let me check again. It was I mean, we know marketwatch.com. Okay. <laughs> was that uh, GTA 5 specifically? Yeah. Actually, marketwatch, um, that's, I don't think that being marketwatch.com is probably not, but I'm pretty sure that's actually like a CNBC show. Um, so I don't know if there's any connection, but, Hmm. um, I think the more interesting part of that, um, is just, uh, as a little bit of a, like, story, I guess, real quick. Um, I had family in town a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was my cousin and then his two kids, and so the younger kid was a boy, he's like seven, and was like, is kind of starting to get into video games. He's like kind of at that age. And what's really particularly interesting that, at least for me, again, like we've talked about, like, I know in the coffee club before, meeting people outside of, like, the sphere that you're typically in of games and recognizing that, oh, there are people who play games completely differently from how I do. And one of the things I found really interesting about this seven-year-old kid, hope I'm not putting my cousin on blast about this if you look him up on Facebook or something, but I won't say his name. Um, But I think this is actually really pretty normal for just, like, what the modern, like, what youth is doing now is his favorite game, and he has never played it, is GTA. Hmm. And he spends all of his time watching YouTube and watching Let's Players yeah. of GTA, and particularly GTA Online. And what yeah, I found particularly yeah. interesting about it is what, because I asked him, like, because like, I'm a huge Grand Theft Auto fan. I even have a poster from GTA Five from like the pre-release on my wall. And he said... Uh, and so, like, I was like, so what is GTA like? And he started describing it, and he was only describing GTA Online. He had no idea that there were previous GTA games. <laughs> he had no idea that there's a single-player game. He didn't even realize that it was actually even, like, really truly an online game. He was just like, yeah, you just go on. Maybe you hook up with friends or something. Like, you can do this and that and that. You can be a cop. And he started going through, like, all of the stories that, like, happen in, like, role-playing servers and, like, yeah. all of the weird, like, um, emergent elements of the game. 
And that was what the game was to him. And to him, that's what video games are and should be. And he got all of that experience through only YouTube. Awesome. Yeah, it was just I really think, interesting. Actually, I want to I jump on that topic. There, there was an article I read about a guy whose son went and played GTA as well. And what he said, the thing that amazed him about his son playing it was he observed all the laws. He played, he got into like the ambulance and he went and rescued people. He stopped at red lights. He could be hitting anybody. He helped them. It was just, he played it completely opposite of what you would play as that game for, for a violent video game. It's, it's surprisingly has some elements where it allows you to just kind of, what's a good word for it, subvert the game itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, I guess what makes that article kind of clickbaity is that a lot of people assume that a violent game like that is only being played by kids. Yeah. <clears throat> when really, in reality, uh, yeah, there, there's probably a fair number of youth that, that play GTA 5 or GTA Online, but I would argue that the majority of the players are adults. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah, I've been just kind of considering the amount of gamers. Especially, that is a game that is, like, it's almost like it's owned by more, like, if you just look at the console market, like, it's owned by maybe more con like it is the most owned console game mm-hmm. like the largest percentage of people i have no idea how to say what i'm trying to say right now but i think <laughs> that you get what i'm trying to say yeah yeah um then maybe anything else and like yeah yeah absolutely i think that it just simply hits the broadest swath of players probably in the world yeah so, it has mass appeal like, yeah okay so these next few too. topics that i'm about to bring up we kind of also cover them over friday so i'm just going to cool. mesh the two days together okay. at this point um, so I came across a, Kotaku apparently does this thing where they, every once a week, they'll gather, yeah, yeah they'll gather like really cool articles around the internet, gaming internet circuit and post it all in one place. And so there were a couple of interesting ones for the, for the week of the 7th, uh, April 7th, uh, that caught my attention. I'm just going to run through them real quick because uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, one was about Shadow of Wars, the maker of Shadow of Wars, announcing that they're going to remove the loot box system from their game. They were just like, there's no reason for it. It doesn't really do anything to enhance play. It's just kind of bogging everything down. Um, that did spark some things. Which, funny enough, we usually have one, like a couple of rules at the Thursday club. It's like one of them is don't bring up loot boxes, and I was the one to bring it up, and it did spark an argument. I had to shut that down. Uh, the next thing we had was... Um, PUBG's lawsuit filed um, against NetEase for their titles Knives Out and Rule of Survival. These are two mobile games that were published before PUBG could get their mobile game on there. And in the lawsuit, they're claiming that they pretty much stole their intellectual property, saying things like, it sounds like they're trying to copyright their game mechanics, really. Right, which they themselves have copied from other games. <laughs> their, their argument was like, "There's no first-person shooter game that fu- that where you can fight with a frying pan." Which is not true. Team Fortress Two did it years ago. That's true. <laughs> uh, and Left 4 Dead. Um, I, I guess the only reason um, that like we should kind of follow the story like with a little bit of a close eye is, as it currently stands, um, the reason that like copies are can can get out there is because. Um, mechanics are not copyrightable, um, mm-hmm. and so like the only things that co- the only thing that's copyrightable in a game is actually just simply the title, and that's really pretty much it. Um, and uh, but if for some reason 
this does actually still get through, it could actually set precedent. Um, oh, it yeah, could change the face of the industry. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be huge. That could I be doubt dangerous. it happening, but it could. I mean, so. following up on that was an iOS game that was also talking about how their their entire platform was also stolen. Baba is You. It's a IGF award-winning puzzle game that was set for release this year, and they found some copycatters online that stole their almost their entire look. And the group try to come out and say, nope, no, we didn't. We've made everything ourselves. Um, so kind of yeah. on that one. Um, then there were two articles that sort of talked about the same thing, and it's about women in games and how much they are paid versus how much their male counterparts are paid. This is in the U.K. only. So is the government, the Rockstar one? Yeah, the yeah. government took a census of a lot of companies, a lot of game companies in the U.K., and what they found was shockingly... Um, zero number of large UK game developers who met the national average of women, <laughs> accounting for 39.9% of the top paid employees. Rockstar, Rockstar North in particular was found to have the biggest gap in pay at 64%. percent mm -hmm. Um, so that was... We had a large conversation about this over Slack upstairs on that day. Uh, <laughs> and there's a lot of information that the headline doesn't really go into there mm -hmm. a lot of which is is like a lot of their uh their female employees that they do have <clears throat> aren't necessarily in the higher paying positions right now mm -hmm. uh i mean i'm not trying to defend that <laughs> mostly our conversation was into outreach and how to get more women into into games and and how to get more women into in uh involved in stem or steam programs you know in, in school stuff like that yeah I agree. There was a, a separate related article. Uh, one of the Silicon Valley companies, they have reached a, I think it's like a 45%, 55% equilibrium of male to female employees. Hmm. Uh, and that's both in, in pay and in uh, just general body count. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and they did so by uh, only trying to recruit from schools that encourage more... Uh, more STEM and STEAM learning for women. Ooh. Which was, was interesting. So they, they just try to avoid the schools in general that, that don't, that don't uh, bring in as many women. Hmm. Okay. Interesting tactic, but... Hmm. There's so much I can say on that, but I, it's a very large topic, and I don't want to get into it. I, I want to kind of take that to the club itself. Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, were there... Because I, I wasn't there for that discussion on Thursday. Um, were there any particular, like, interesting opinions that anybody brought up? Or? It wasn't so much interesting opinions. It was more like how that data was found um, and how okay. it was brought together. And, uh, like he said, uh, where what what job did the woman have in, in the... In the company, because definitely if they're HR, they're probably not going to be paid as much as a senior developer or a senior programmer. So I can understand that. And that's what the questions really were. Like, what kind of what kind of jobs did these women have that there seemed to be this huge gender gap? Discrepancy. Yeah, yeah, discrepancy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so mm. no, no, you're fine. Okay. So these next two articles kind of go along with each other. Um Last time we talked about we talked about Steam Spy and how they were collecting a bunch of numbers about everything that was going on on Steam and how there were more Chinese players playing PUBG than anything else. Well, 
Valve came out and said, we are changing the privacy settings after the whole Facebook data breach. It's not really a breach, but can't cam- Camber, Camber Analytics? Uh, Cambridge. Cambridge. Cambridge Analytics. So Valve was like, we're going to get ahead of this. We're going to stick this this privacy setting in there. De- defaults to hiding everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Steam Spy came out after and said, now that you've done this, we can't do our job. And they're moving more into an archive thing. Yeah, yeah. They uh, That completely kills all of Steam Spy's data. But yeah. another question is, why was all of this data not private to begin with? Like, it was set up in such a way from the get-go where you could go into anybody, friend or otherwise, uh, their Steam profile, look at all of their data, look at all the games they have or play. and I guess just kind of when you consider um, when Steam launched mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it had, you know, s- social media was still really young at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it has and still does had a, uh, you know, really social element. Um, and I and I really like that element. You know, I mean, I do that on PlayStation a lot is... I'm constantly like kind of checking trophies between me and friends and like seeing like, oh, sure, what, did, yeah. what did they get? Oh, they popped that one. I haven't gotten that yet. Stuff like that. And I think that's just, and so I think that it's one of those things that is maybe born out of um, trusting social media for like kind of the, the positive elements of it and not thinking about what can stem from that. Right, um, right. And now we are on the other side of that, of having social media and um, Steam for over 10 years and, you know, um, all of the negative elements of that. So I don't know. Um, I we, feel that that's probably it. It's we talked kind of to a naive trust that maybe they had and we had. Yeah, yeah. So there's this interesting topic. Um, uh, side note: There's a client that I'm working with that's over data personalization, and there's actually an interesting thing we noticed while we were doing all of our research for this particular project, is that if you wrap the whole idea of everything in privacy, most people are like, oh, whatever privacy. Yeah, don't don't look over my fence kind of thing. But when you say no, your data is actually being used. It's like a different trigger flips and everybody's like, "What do you mean my data is being used? I didn't yeah. agree to all this." Right? So, it's it comes down to really the wrapper that you're placing it in, privacy versus the f- term personal data. Well, I don't know. I feel like uh <clears throat> you're Nobody cares about their privacy until there's a breach of their privacy. That's exactly it. So, yeah, maybe the phrasing is is a way to, to wrap it, it up to get people more, yeah. like, alert about these things. Well, but. it's also because you are, like, like you said, we've had this technology around for 10 years, mm-hmm. and you don't really think about it because you're checking in at your favorite restaurant on Facebook, right? And you don't really think, oh, this is an invasion of my privacy, because mm-hmm. you're like, I, wanted, I want everybody to know that my favorite restaurant is here. Right. So that it, it really did like they really just kind of the best marketing that's kind of ever heard. It's like we're not invading your privacy, but we are taking your personal data. And it's just kind of again, it's the wrapper effect. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, they're not taking anything that you haven't uh, put out there yourself yeah. or <laughs> accepted through the terms of terms and uh, yeah. agreements. Yeah. And I think that another like easy way like for a company like that around that as well is to specifically like to maybe change the phrase personal data, because that's a very broad swath of yeah. like, oh man, what what does it mean that you're taking? Are you taking mm-hmm. are you taking my credit card info? Or are you take are you gonna like give my cell phone number to people? Mm-hmm. Um, but if they say so if they were to say something like your uh I don't know public facing data or if they were to say like your uh bio, mm-hmm. you know, like that would be a little bit different. Because mm-hmm. like I know that I have what seems to often be a controversial opinion on this topic. 
I don't mind it and I'll actually love it. You know, like, it, you know, and it's the idea of like when we talk about like breach of data and data privacy is super important. But when it also comes to when it's used properly, it's incredibly helpful and I actually really enjoy it. Like, That's how I want you to tell me, oh, you liked all of these restaurants. We know because you have like had your, you know, you've, you've logged into Facebook while at these restaurants and oops, we were tracking that. But guess what? We just found your new favorite restaurant. Mm. That's cool. There's cool stuff that you can do with it. Yeah. Um, and so it, it needs to be kept in check. Um, we need to remain observant and, you know, steadfast about it. Mm-hmm. But there's think, cool stuff you can do with it. People are, are more worried about the big brother aspect of it, yeah, the, of the government tracking aspect Even of though, it. Which, I mean, could, could or No, I mean, that's thing. been going on for a while. Like, yeah. this, this whole thing... <laughs> Going back to another project I work on, I actually edited a book on privacy mm-hmm. and personal data. And just the history alone, because they had a little history of it, just the history alone just kind of mind blows you. Because it starts in World War II when um, the government was starting to collect personal data, trying to find spies. Uh, and then when the war was over, they just had all this information. They're like, what are we going to do with it? And companies were like, hey. <laughs> We could really use that to, you know, yeah. The thing that gets me is like, if uh, if companies are making money off of the information they've gathered for me, I kind of want a piece of that. Like, you're you're making money on my data. Okay, I'm gonna cut that. Give me fifty cents. (laughs) Then I'm gonna slip into job role, and I don't want to slip into job role. I'm just gonna skip this one, this last this article that that was supposed to pair with the other one. Uh, It was just a mention about how um, just kind of. Going back to an old topic about Steam finding the right point, and this one guy was just like, "I skip Steam cells and do my own." Um, so that's that's the sum of that one. Wait, um, what? Yeah. Skip Steam sales and do his own. Yeah. So sales? Steam. Yeah, he just did his own cells. Oh, oh, this is was, a developer. Yeah, this okay. is a de- developer. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is um, a little frustrating about losing Steam Spy is it was one of the like kind of only. Um, ways that just anybody could actually go and look at numbers and so for a lot of like smaller companies in the industry because i mean there's a lot of tools out there to be able to actually like get numbers but you have to be it's a lot of money to get in and um yeah. and so like for uh any developers just simply wanting to see like oh how do comparable games sell or um you know maybe startup consultants wanting to do something or just people who are interested like maybe uh, like freelance journalists or something like that um VG charts used to be a thing, but so many games are digital now that you can't really go off box sales. <laughs> um, and then uh, it was kind of one of the only tools that anybody actually had. So that's actually a little disappointing that um, a really kind of important resource for a lot of people in the industry, especially people starting out, is now not around. Oh, yeah, especially for user research, trying to figure out, you know, like what what mechanics are or game types are fitting for this kind of demographics. Steam yeah. Spy was a very useful tool for all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a final topic, and this was the one that actually sort of took over the Friday Club the most, mm-hmm. was Fellbetter's QA lead on bad project management methodologies causing crunch for a QA, QA teams. And this was more looking at the difference between the waterfall method, a waterfall method being large parts of the game are finished, like huge chunks of the game are finished, then they're handed off to the QA group. QA group runs their thing and they find like lots of breaking and they push it back over and it slows down uh, mm-hmm. slows down mm-hmm. development. Where Agile is the QA and the development team pretty much working side by side 
passing off smaller chunks to do the testing so that uh, that there wasn't a slowdown in development. And this was kind of an idea, like we, we were mentioning how a couple couple sessions ago where we were talking about um, like gamer works, one of their being the gamer works union, one of their things being to eliminate crunch time mm-hmm. and how a lot of us felt that it was more management problem and that this agile way of doing QA might actually solve a lot of the issues in crunch time. The question is how many AAA games are still doing the waterfall method, right? It seems like uh, every project we try agile and then every project that fails (laughs) and we end up just kind of falling back into the waterfall method. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Hmm. Because uh, it, it was actually interesting because, um, like, it was right at that time that, like, I actually, because I hadn't read the article before it started, and I actually almost ha- kind of burst out laughing at the idea that anybody in industry was still utilizing waterfall method. Well, the um, thing with, with the waterfall method is that it, it's, uh, or, or rather, let me let me approach from the other end. Well, the thing and, with and, Agile, and as I was going to say, like, yeah, yeah, sorry, um, like, right at that moment, and I was like, man, I wish that Matt or, or Sol was here. <laughs> Because, like, I am interested to know what happens in AAA. And then right at that time, Matt came around the corner, actually. <laughs> oh, and nice. So he actually did talk a little bit about, like, kind of your style, of which then he and I kind of then started, like, talking to the group about, like, okay, here is, like, kind of different project management styles yeah. and, like, kind of describing it. And, of course, what we got to is adapting anything is really what's important. Yes. And it sounds yes. like you guys don't really, like, you guys do a hybrid, essentially. and Or, like, you've adapted Agile method for what you do. I mean, I, I can't go into, like, super specific details, yeah. obviously. But uh, I feel like Agile is very useful for getting, like, very specific tasks done. Uh, but we've also had challenges with, with production being able to anticipate certain things in time with Agile. Uh, Waterfall seems to uh, be a little easier to predict, like, timetables with. Sure. Because you kind of know, you know, when uh, when the concept art is done, you can estimate how long it's going to be before the model is done, and then how long it's going to be before the rig is done, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Whereas in Agile, while things may get done a little quicker, or a lot quicker, depending, uh, it's also a lot less overhead and a lot less tracking, so you're not certain, like, what's going smoothly, exactly how or why. And I think there's a lot of benefits too agile, and I want to see us continue to try doing more of that. Uh, but it's kind of a it's a top down and bottom up yeah. thing. Well, Everybody that's exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Actually, is yeah. that um, you know, uh, and I think that uh, oh man, one person even brought up like in other like uh, just just management styles in general. Like even like Sigma Six was brought up. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. Like, I mean, um, we really got into like the some granular stuff there. Yeah, and and I think that at at its core, um, what we were really kind of the I think that the the conclusion that we all kind of arrived at was um, as especially quote unquote agile is becoming uh, you know a really hot word uh, just like gamification mm-hmm. was just a few years ago <laughs> uh, all across like every industry I know like even you know like in marketing teams and like in other forms of business and like sales teams are like somehow trying to utilize agile as well. Um, that as it's getting further and further away from just what it originally was made for, which is just software development, um, software development probably for a already made product, um, or at least a product that wouldn't take that long, then then it's made. Um, it needs to, with any of these management styles, you need to have a buy-in from um, the people who are actually doing the work, and then, of course, then the acceptance 
by the management to adapt it as necessary for mm-hmm. the team that they're working with and for the project in the industry that yeah. they're in. Because yeah. a lot of what it sounded like, um, I run a small company. So a lot of what, what works for us is the fact that the reason why our, our group team works so well is because I've been in the trenches for so long. So when I took on a higher position, I kind of knew exactly where everybody, what everybody was capable of and can set realistic ones. Whereas there are times where you'll see somebody that's at the top who doesn't really understand the rest of how the company works or been in the trenches, they're making really bad judgment calls. And that's what it sounded like a lot was just there's, I mean, you hear it all the time. There's a sort of disconnect between the guys who work on the bottom and the people that work on the top, right? It's, they have two different mentality. And a lot of times it might be just because that person was hired into the company, having never had to work their way up through the company. And therefore they don't understand the inner mechanisms of everything. Or you have the the guy who works all the way up, who then has to convince everybody else who doesn't understand the internet. No, I feel like that's that's a, a surface level assumption because most of the time, all the production guys, even even ones who never were doing like straight development, are very mindful of the time that things take and and are trying to plan ahead of time. Well, at least in you know the big company that I've worked with so far. Mm. Uh, I find that in related in relation to crunch, usually what happens with like the waterfall method is that by the time you get to the end of the project and the final production line is is there, mm-hmm. uh, or, or is, is you know working on their thing, uh, the time that wasn't accounted for that ended up costing extra time uh, on the earlier parts of the waterfall or the production line ends up having to be made up with crunch at the end of the line, right? Mm-hmm. And agile. Uh, while you're not getting that same issue where everybody's having to crunch super hard right at the end, uh, I found that people within their their individual sprints are crunching a little bit in those sprints. So it's like a lot of crunch spread out over a longer time or a lot of crunch crammed in altogether. And I don't necessarily know which one is better. I, I can see if we're going back to like the whole agile versus waterfall, I can see where you're coming from. I'm thinking of more the management style because I've worked in the corporate and then I've worked in the small, small startup, right? And in corporate, in the corporate, no matter how hard you try to explain to the guys on top, it just kind of, they're like, well, why can't it be done? And you, you explain like through emails and, and mm-hmm. meetings mm-hmm. nonstop and they still go, well, you can have it done in a week, right? And it's like, no. This is really going to take a month and a half yeah. to do. I mean, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. Mm. Because that, that certainly does in some places, in some companies, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in the AAA devs that I've talked to about this kind of scenario, that kind of surface level issue has not been the problem. Well, that's a lot of because they've, they've come out of the trenches. Like, they've worked the ground level. Not always. But mm. anyway. Yeah, I don't know if I... yeah because i mean anything more would just kind of be getting into kind of more specifics um Mm -hmm. on like just what what would work maybe playing around with ideas of like what project management methodologies work in games or something Mm. like that yeah i mean i have opinions on all of that obviously it's (laughs) what i do but yeah well actually i would like to hear your opinion on what method works well for your team or yeah, so um, again, actually uh, kind of talking about... What is your company? Oh, for yeah, sure, for those who don't know. Uh, so <laughs> I am a producer, a project manager for an indie studio called Polynight Games. So project management methodologies is very close to my heart. Um, 
so we run agile. Um, we typically run two week sprints. Um, but, uh, you know, one, again, one of the points being needing to adapt based on the team size that you have and needing to adapt based on uh, the people that you work with. And um, really, like one of the best things and one of the things that I love about management is it's really, it's, it's about um, uh, encouraging and it's about enabling the people on your team. It's not about necessarily like just simply being in power. It's about being in a position in which you can look at everything and look at what everybody's doing and enable them to be better at what they do mm -hmm. because then they don't mm -hmm. have to worry about everything else and you're giving them the tools and resources to do it. It's what a good manager should do. And, um, yes. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> or at least that's my philosophy on it. Um, and so for me, what I found with my particular team is, uh, we tried a number of different project management suites and tools and software. Um, and we ended up falling like on one or two. Um, the one that we ended up, I think, liking the most for our particular team was Trello, actually. Um, it was kind of the least, uh, like database, like it, it felt less of a database and kind of more truly just simply as like, uh, you know, agile board. Um, and but what ended up really happening is you actually vary depending on person to person. Some people checked it constantly. Some people absolutely love it. They upload everything. They tell people, hey, it's uploaded there. And then other people don't. And so a lot of it is really um, kind of maybe stepping in and moving cards for people. For me, is my job um, of like, oh, I know that they finished this because I talked to them about it this morning. I'm going to go and do it for them. So then other people just simply giving them, and this is actually what we ended up doing for a while is we actually just simply abandoned that. Um, and just simply work with bullet points, actually, like straight mm -hmm. up, just like bullet points in a Google Doc. Um, you write out what you're going to be doing and then just strike it through when you're done. And so essentially, then we truly just simply had checklists and striked it through um, and let them. And I gave them because then what that did is that allowed them that that was how they, for the most part, as a team wanted to do it. Um, and they would keep up with it the most. And so that gave them the autonomy to say, okay, cool, I'm taking ownership over this and I'm doing it. And that's what really matters is just them taking ownership over their particular yeah, roles and yeah. like what their, what their, you know, jobs <laughs> are. Um, and so that's actually what we ended up doing for a long time was I would still have my Gantt chart. We put it up um, and like kind of here's our long range goals and a big spreadsheet. Um, for those don't, that don't know, a Gantt chart is essentially um, a schedule, um, a visual schedule that's in a spreadsheet of like week by week what everybody's working on. Um, and so then that would be like uh, glued, uh, taped up on the wall. But then more importantly, then they just simply have their Google Doc spreadsheet. And so like we actually kind of abandoned a lot of just like the more uh, efficient, if you will, quote unquote, um, uh, tools and resources and just went just straight Google Docs. And yeah, just, yeah like, that makes a lot of sense. Especially for a team that. of your size. Yeah, exactly. It makes a ton of sense. And anytime you guys had questions about like, oh, how should I approach this particular task? You can turn around and be yeah. like, hey guys. Yeah, <laughs> it was small enough. Yeah, you know, I mean, we only have one person that like works remote all the time. Right, um, right. And so we were all in the same office. And, um, you know, as the team got larger, when we were at our biggest, um, you know, I think like at our biggest, we were like 10 or 12 um, with like, con you know, with other people. And so like, then the tools kind of helped a little bit more, but as we started kind of shrinking down and then um, just kind of working with the core team, um, that was mostly in the same room. Yeah, it was people just kind of turning around and saying, hey, I need this done. So for my company, we use the bullet point method. Oh, really? The strike through. Yeah. But I was thinking about it. We actually use a project management system called Basecamp. Okay, yeah. Right, which is, a, yeah, which is a lot like bullet points and strike throughs. And uh, 
to be honest, the only one that uses it besides me is probably the writers I work with because we have a whole system in place that puts assignments up and they go and they accept it and then they check it off every time they complete an article. Yeah. Um, so I'm the one that mostly uses it. And while we were going through the conversation here, I was also thinking of like how my company does a lot of things. And we also tend to use both the agile and the waterfall method depending on what project we're working on. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. And yeah. uh, for those that don't know, I do marketing and I've actually, okay. The real talk though, I'm actually the owner of Something Simple Services. So it's been really Uh-oh. interesting. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Uh, Something Simple Services. I've been. Thank you for your support last month. You're yes. welcome. Oh. I uh, as a as a give back to the community for supporting me as I was growing from being a writer into the CEO of my own company. Um, the comp- the club gave me a lot of support, so I've been giving back as best as I can. Um, but going back, uh, you're welcome. Going back, the. Uh, <laughs> The whole point that's like I've been playing around with management styles too, different ones. Like, how often do you update? Right. Some people are like daily, and others are like, "Mm, don't. That feels too micromanage. Right. So it's been interesting, and you you kind of have to learn. Like like you said, you have to kind of learn your your company, like the people that work for you. And it's hard for me because I work with a lot of contractors. So I can't really tell them when to work. They just kind of like, eh, maybe we'll do this, maybe not. And that kind of drives me up the wall. But for the most part, I've managed to look out and work with really cool cool people. And uh, so staying on top of the, all of that and learning, going through the different methods, I think Basecamp works for us, but we've been looking into Monday. Hmm. I don't know Monday. Uh, it's another project management system. I hear uh, Shotgun is really good. Mm. I hear, I don't know, I've never used it. <laughs> uh, but... That touches on something I'd like to talk about uh, either next time or mm-hmm. at one of the one of the uh, coffee meetups Thursday or Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what makes people feel micromanaged? Mm. Uh, what like what triggers your like I'm being too micromanaged feeling? You know, <laughs> <clears throat> or what are you comfortable? Or what are people comfortable just? You know, what what kind of production things are people comfortable with doing? Like, how mm. far can production take it to track time before it otherwise? starts? Affecting your productivity and your creativity. Because I work with a lot of creatives. And the moment you do anything that that they're just like, no, you can't can't ask me every hour. They start like shutting down and you don't get any work (laughs) for the rest of the day. It's over. Yeah, it's a a fine balance. um, Mm -hmm. Because at Mm -hmm. the same time, uh, most people do still enjoy um, having, again, you know, having somebody who thinks of the things that they don't necessarily think about. Um, and, and, what, and what I found is they actually, they like that because then that allows them to kind of get down in the weeds of what they do. And then knowing that they don't have to think about, you know, the other things oh. that could actually affect the rest of the team. And so, like, it is important. And they actually like somebody coming and say, hey, remember, I need this done by then because this person needs this or I need this done in this particular way because this person needs this, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and so, like, there is also the flip side of um, there is also, uh, you know, you don't want to micromanage especially and you need to watch particular individuals on if they do or don't want that. But Because there are actually some people who really want that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there but, is a guy that I work with that's a micromanager. Sure. Like, I have to micromanage him. <laughs> Nothing gets done. Well, and he might even enjoy that. Mm. Like, I mean, it might even just simply be that, like, hey, 
I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. What ne- what do I do next? I'm done yeah. with this. What do I do next? So you give them small like you know small mm-hmm. chunks to do. Um, and then there are other people who don't want that at all. No, let me do this. But then still want to be checked in on every once in a while. Um, so there's there's it's still that fine line of still showing your showing your interest as a manager um, in what they do and then that kind of affirms what their work is as well yeah so, i'm gonna yeah, start a, a facebook post on that because i'm actually really interested yeah. to, to fill so let me make a note of this somewhere. well speaking of making a note of something we should probably start wrapping up yeah <laughs> well, oh it is time yeah you yes, gotta make is. sure to uh, thank a couple people while we're at it uh one is trey hodge yeah thank you trey Trey, who's been doing a wonderful job of sound editing our podcast. He's also added musical score to the beginning and end of the podcast, and he did an awesome job with the spoiler alert bumper last time. That was just too funny. Yeah. Uh, so thanks to him. Uh, whoops, I forgot where, where you can find his stuff at. It was. You know, we should bring him on as a guest. Yeah. yeah. He, he doesn't live in Dallas. So. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> well, we could have him Skype in, in. yeah. Yeah, Skype him Trey, in. You, TreyMix.com. And he did do a... YouTube walkthrough on how to edit a podcast using one of our episodes. Oh, so that's Yeah, cool. that was super helpful. Thank you, Trey. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. he's done yeah, it yeah. twice now. Okay, I only saw the first one. Yeah. And what was his website again? TreyMix.com. Cool. And just uh, want to get a clean, clean cut of that tray. <laughs> <laughs> also, thank you to once again Something Simple Services for conflict. <laughs> 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 Uh, we're, we're, I give 50 to the club every month just, and we're compiling everything so that we can actually do something really cool. Um, so keep in mind on that one. And is there any, oh, and of course, uh, thank you to Nerdvana where we were recording this. Um, Mm -hmm. and of, uh, of course where we get to hold that as well. Um, if you, uh, ever do want to record anything or do some streaming up here, get away from you know, your bedroom where you might typically stream. Um, they do have pretty much all the equipment up here for you, and it is all provided for free. You just need to sign up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they even have rigs here if you want to do some streaming. So if, you're, if your computer doesn't cut it, but you really want to be a Twitch streamer, come check out Nirvana. We can there... get real twitchy off their coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, oh, last thing I want to, last thing we should say, if you want to join the conversation, don't forget to stop by either our Discord or our Facebook group. It's VGOCC on Facebook. And if you're wanting to get on the Discord, just hit us up on our Facebook group and we'll shoot you a link. Uh, if, you have a con- if you have a topic you want us to cover, please share it with us there. We'll bring it up at the clubs. We'll see what everybody thinks thinks about it and if it's really awesome and really hard hitting we'll bring it up here on the mm-hmm. podcast uh and if there's anything that maybe we forgot that we talked about or you want to elaborate more on uh you know the discussions that you had or completely disagree with maybe what we <laughs> took away from what you said uh let us know as well um and hit us up and let's keep the conversation going on facebook and on discord um so until then uh oh remember um, for any new listeners, uh, remember we do have a actual meetup for the coffee clubs. Physical. Um, uh, at thir- on Thursday, it's at the, I always blank on it. It's City, City Line. City Line okay, Whole Foods. it's the City Line Whole Foods. Off Renner Road. Yeah, at Plano. 8 a.m. in Plano. Yeah, Plano or Richardson, I forget that. It's right there at like the, the border. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, of course, here in Frisco on Fridays at Nerdvana. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and so hopefully I will see you there um, or one of us will see you at one of them. Ooh, and if you happen to know anybody that would like to sponsor the podcast or sponsor any part of the club, please have them reach out to us. They can reach out to us over uh, the our Facebook group or where else? Uh, the Discord. Mm, the Discord. Uh, yes. Or directly at any of our Twitter handles. That's right. And I guess that's a good segue. Um, <laughs> I am Eric Brody. You can hit me up on Twitter at Eric Brody. I'm Rebecca Eason. You can pretty much find me almost anywhere at My Dyslexic World with dyslexic being spelled wrong. It's D-E-S, not D-Y. And uh, I've been Michael Sewell, and you can find me on Twitter at Sewell Softworks. Thank you so much. Hope to see you, and uh, have a great week. Love you.